0: People are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives for really, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles, and a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. Everywhere you go, trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles app. Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what what people say. You can't live all your life by what they want.
1: Another Kind of Mind. A different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind.
0: guitar fell over, Paula, a guitar fell over. Well, don't you know that there's a madman coming, gonna do you no harm. He's wearing big pajamas
2: and a on the farm. Hello, and welcome to Another Kind of Mind. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Daphne. By this point, we've had almost two months to watch, absorb, and ponder Peter Jackson's Get Back. We've been following the various reactions in the media, read many an article... Heard a few podcasts, seen a few videos. Today, we're offering our reactions in the first of three episodes on Get Back. Today, Daphne and I are gonna discuss some of the biggest overall takeaways from Get Back and how it's enhanced our understanding of the band and the events of the breakup. We will also discuss the ways in which Get Back has arguably muddied the waters, how it occasionally creates or reinforces some faulty narratives by omitting certain information, or presenting it out of context. Additionally, we'll be discussing Yoko, heroin, and John's engagement with Paul and the Beatles. My dearest Daphne. Yes, Phoebe. What did you think of Get Back? It was incredible. I laughed. I cried. I screamed internally. I sweated (laughs) externally. I had to press pause about every five or ten minutes because it was just too much I had to kind of watch it in small increments (laughs) uh it was very very beautiful clearly a labor of love and I have only the warmest of wishes for Peter Jackson thank you Peter Jackson yeah even though he did make a few choices that I took issue with which we'll delve into right I agree overall I'm extremely pleased and grateful and I thought it was a lovely film Today, we're going to go pretty in-depth and take it apart and talk about some of the messaging that's coming through from the film and some of the takeaways. Uh, We're going to look really hard at those and be critical of them, but we want to be clear that it's not necessarily a criticism of the film itself. For the most part, I feel like I understood why he made the choices that he did, Mm -hmm. and I think that he made a really good film from my point of view, his biggest accomplishment is that he made this eight hours completely entertaining. I mean, how boring is Michael Lindsey Hogg's film? Like not, I'm not here to dog on Michael Lindsay Hogg. I'm just saying that creating a compelling narrative <laughs> out of that footage is, is harder than people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he managed to do that that's a big deal yeah, and it some credit goes to the beatles as well like there aren't many bands well. that could sustain interest <laughs> for this long <laughs> no they're they're very special and very charismatic i've gotten a little taste of what everybody on social media is thinking i do like yeah. to get an impression take- of how other people are reacting to it yeah to, to take the fandom's temperature and that's part of why we've waited to, yes. to do this because we wanted to be a little bit in reaction to what's already being said and to figure out what isn't being said right i feel like peter jackson did his best to be empathetic to all the characters and to show everyone in a good light i never felt like he was pushing me toward any particular character me too and of course people are gonna bring themselves to the table they're own assumptions and preferences mm-hmm. and personal baggage, ourselves included. Yep, <laughs> That shouldn't be surprising, but it has been a little surprising to me at times, reading other fans' reactions. Sometimes I really find myself thinking, did we watch the same thing? Get Back apparently is Rashomon. Everybody yep. has a completely different take on it. Some of us bring tons of baggage into this. So I have noticed it tends to be (laughs) that if you're already deeply entrenched in Beetle and you clearly have a favorite Beetle, that's not going to change after you watch Get Back. Like you're not going to see anything in this movie that's going to change your alliances. Sure. Yeah, there's there's nothing that controversial in it. The main thing that I think is absolutely upended by Get Back <laughs> is the idea that John was checked out of the Beatles on a creative and personal level, and that he had lost interest in Paul specifically as a collaborator. Like, I don't, I don't think it's possible to argue that now. That trope, I, I hope, is dead and buried after this. Well, you'd think it would have to be. We'll see. Well- Anyone who tries to argue that from this point? Yeah, they, they have a steep hill to climb now. Right. They always had a steep hill to climb, but now the general public is aware of how steep that hill is. Yeah. And is going to be looking with a critical eye and with some important knowledge that even super fans did not have before. Even, even I, I did not expect anything like the, this level of visible, palpable... Love and delight from John yeah. when he's interacting with Paul. It is it's beyond striking. what yeah. I expected. It is. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I feel really sad for John. Yeah. That, that was, you know, that that was not in his life anymore. Another talking point, which sort of pre existed but is now more fleshed out, is George Harrison's role in the band. So, Paul and George, which is manifestly the largest interpersonal conflict happening. I mean that's obvious, right? Yeah. Ringo and John do not hate Paul in Get Back. They don't mm-hmm. even seem annoyed by him. Yeah. Uh, more on that later regarding the George and Paul conflict. I absolutely think the additional footage adds some much-needed context in a way that is beneficial to both their reputations. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so easy to see things from both sides. And while there's not much or any like objectively bad behavior from any of them Mm -hmm. it's easy to see why they would both be hurt and frustrated by each other there's lots to discuss about george's role in the beatles at this point and we're going to dedicate most of episode two to that topic so the other biggest takeaway i think is it wasn't yoko's fault this one seemed to be like the biggest revelation right out of the gate. It seems like there was a big initial burst for Free Yoko, maybe like the first month after the movie came out. Yeah, But since then, there has been a bit of pushback, particularly on the way Yoko was edited in this film, and whether or not that edit was fair or honest in in terms of her role in the greater story of the Beatles. Yes. And that pushback, in my opinion, is warranted. I feel like, you know, Yoko did not break up the band, has been fairly well accepted for a while now, but this went above and beyond that, and it's like Yoko's presence was completely inert. Like, she was just quiet and barely well, noticeable the well whole time. Well, how, how could she break up a band? She never said anything. Right. Like she just sat there quietly the whole time. So Yoko didn't break up the band. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we've been, we've been saying everyone. that for a really long time. Um, I'm glad that that concept is dying now. Um, yes. Well, here, okay, Here, here's a distinction. Yeah. I think people have accepted for a long time that Yoko's actions did not break up the band, that Yoko is not responsible mm. for the breakup of the band, meaning like she didn't set out mm. to do it. But then to shift the blame off of her, but maintain the same principle, the framing turns into, well, John's love for Yoko broke up the band because Mm -hmm. John was so obsessed with her and so bored with the Beatles and so uninterested in Paul specifically. That whole idea should be completely scotched by Get Back forever, please. Never again should I have to hear that. Before we sort of deconstruct this (laughs) idea, I I do want to say that, like, fundamentally, I really, really appreciate that Peter Jackson put the focus back on the Beatles. Yes. That honestly is like the only choice to make. That's what we've been complaining about for years. Every narrative being dominated by Yoko. Peter Jackson had an enormous amount of power and responsibility. And Mm -hmm. if you are given that power to sort of absolve yoko ono of any responsibility or guilt or bad feeling in the history of the beatles breakup how could you not do that how could you mm. resist if you have the opportunity to reverse this incredible yes. injustice this decades long of hatred yeah. and on like just like un, I mean, nobody deserves that hatred at the at the expense of nuance and at the expense of history, even I'm saying. Sure. And Peter Jackson is fully aware that Beatles scholarship will continue, that this, his work is not gonna be the last word and that people will push back on it. And Books yeah. will continue to be written, but filmmaking is a very, very powerful medium. And for many people in the general public, it is the beginning and the end as far as stories go. Most people are not reading Beatles biographies. They're just not. Right. Uh, But they might sit down and watch eight hours of footage. Right. I do think this is, you know, an opportunity for him to use his power for good. But. Well, there's a couple troubling things about it. Number one, I'm, I'm a little disturbed by the fact that the way Yoko has been absolved is by putting a gag in her mouth. Yes. Yes. She's just a stuffed animal in this movie. Exactly. We don't need to turn her into a baby to get people to empathize and see her as a well-rounded person. The options don't need to be war criminal or baby. Security blanket. She's just blanky to John. Blanky although you know having said that like i do think she is part blanky. so if that's part of the takeaway I, that's good and i have seen people make that suggestion like maybe yoko wasn't there because john was super horny 24 hours maybe mm-hmm. she was just there for security but- yeah there, there are two reasons that you do the very weird thing that john did which is a, because you need security and protection and comfort, or B, you want to provoke. Yep. And I think it's both. So from Peter Jackson's film, one would get the impression that it was only the former, that it was only for security and comfort. He's taken away the provocation part of the equation. Well, and here's the, the really disturbing part from my point of view. He left in the evidence of Paul defending Yoko to a room full of people, but he left out everybody complaining about Yoko. Yes. Yeah. It just sounds like Paul is going on an endless, (laughs) unprovoked rant. The impression that you get is that people want him to stop talking about it because no one is responding. He's just going on and on and on. So what Peter Jackson admitted was Neil Aspinall complaining that you can't even have a conversation with John these days. You end up having a conversation with Yoko because she's acting as his mouthpiece. And she's just running interference with everybody, including us in the inner circle. And that's fucked up. And like, nobody can communicate with John anymore. That's vital. That's so important to this story. It is. And we don't know I still am on the fence about whether like was Yoko only saying things that John had already co-signed like was John silent but co-signing everything that she said or was she acting at least to some degree on her own it's a great question one that I'm not sure we can answer but I, I think it's important to point out that this is partially what Paul and Neil are discussing on the morning of the 13th and it's partially what's making George Harrison so irate. Also, Michael Lindsay Hogg recently corroborated this in an interview with Radio New Zealand.
0: And so Yoko became as well as his companion, she became sort of like his mother too, because she would protect him. So sort of like when, you know, like if they were having a meal break in their own and you wanted to talk to John, if they were sitting in a room and you'd go in, hello, Michael Howard, he'd say, but then she'd say, oh, yes, what do you want? And then um, I'd, you'd talk to her, and then she'd say, I think John would do that. Yeah, John, you want to do that? He's still right. But you talk to Yoko first. Was that irritating? It was the way it was.
2: <laughs> we don't know why he is either asking her to do that or permitting her to do that. But either mm-hmm. way, it's a very important question. Why is John yes. doing that? Peter Jackson does not have time to get into of course yeah all of this in this documentary he had to make a lot of hard choices to streamline his narrative this is a messy messy thread that there's no way he can resolve we don't have the time yeah. and information to go into the details of what the fuck is happening between John and Paul why is John using Yoko in this way? Um, But it is a tension point with everybody in the band and Neil and Michael Lindsay Hogg, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Most importantly, there's a conversation between Neil, Paul, and Ringo on January 13th at the beginning of episode two, the one where they're reporting back about the meeting that didn't go well. Right. This is... Vital information that just got omitted from Get Back. The crux of the problem is that once again, John wasn't contributing and Yoko was doing all the talking for John. Now, there is a snippet in Get Back where Paul says, John didn't talk, Yoko talked for John. However, by cutting out everyone else's complaining, <laughs> you've made this into a Paul problem, which isn't fair to Paul. Neil recaps. The meeting that didn't go well apparently george harrison confronted john called him out on the bullshit of talking through yoko and then john pretended he didn't know what george was saying the compounding george- bullshit of yes <laughs> yeah gaslighting of gaslighting george and george got mad about it that's the that's the issue it's not about George and, and Paul, you know, doing guitar, working out guitar parts, even though that is also an underlying problem. It's of not course, the yeah. only problem, but it's the only problem you showed. Like you're not faithfully representing the myriad of problems. Anyway, mm-hmm. at some point, Neil says, I was talking to George, and George says he wants a sit down with the four Beatles only. And Paul and Ringo both say, Yes, that's what we want too. So Paul, George, and Ringo are in agreement that they want to sit down with John without Yoko, and yet this is not part of the Get Back documentary. And it should be for many reasons. For one reason, it is not an unreasonable desire on the part of the other three. They, They have every right to call a private meeting. Yep. With their friend, band member, business partner, and John should have said yes to that. He just should have. His refusing to do that and forcing the others to accept a near stranger into their private and sensitive and confidential business dealings, yeah, is an aggressive act on John's part. And I understand that is kind of sensitive and controversial potentially because it doesn't make John or Yoko look good. Uh, however, By protecting Yoko in that way, Jackson is manipulating the story. Ultimately, every film has a point of view. Every director has to make choices that support that point of view and move the story forward. And Peter Jackson made his choices to serve the story he wanted to tell based on, I can only assume, (laughs) what he perceives to be the truth. And you can't include everything, right? (laughs) You just can't. So he must have calculated the effect of, you know, reopening this can of worms about Yoko and asked himself at the expense of telling the full story. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Exactly. And he went with taking the heat off of Yoko, which, you know, in the long run, I'm for. Yeah, he prioritized that over getting to the root of the problems with with the Beatles. Right. And again, it makes it a Paul issue, which isn't fair, even if it does streamline the storytelling.
0: Four of us on our way home. Right.
2: There's been a lot of conversation about these edits, particularly on YouTube, where you can see some alternate edits. Mm -hmm. And so many people believe that the controversial edits in get back were a result of Yoko's involvement like because she was a producer she forbade Jackson to use any unflattering footage of her. yeah I personally don't believe that. I no. I'm skeptical that Yoko or Sean or any of the Beatles family to be honest had much input at all I would I bet I would bet that these decisions were made by Jackson with consideration to the Beatles family and to Disney, but I sincerely doubt that he was taking orders from the families. Agreed. Yeah. Peter Jackson is no dummy. And I imagine he did his homework on what historically the major players have wanted to emphasize and what they've wanted to downplay. From his perspective, it would be much better to anticipate those objections and preempt them because then maybe he only has to cut two seconds of a scene. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have to get rid of the whole scene. Yeah, right. Because one of the players objects to it. He wouldn't make more work for himself. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So a a good example, I think, is if he makes the preemptive choice to just cut Yoko's line when she says, shooting is exercise, (laughs) if he just does that beforehand, maybe that doesn't flag that issue for the lenin estate and that gives him a better chance of keeping in the more oblique mentions of heroin so he maintains more control that way right and i do want to point out one other thing which is that like even though i've seen a lot of people blaming yoko for the whitewashing i haven't seen anyone like not one person give paul credit for allowing those cuts if peter jackson's edit is sort of you know artificially absolving yoko or just taking the heat off of yoko then we have to acknowledge that as a co-producer paul is complicit in that storytelling as well yeah like he's not objecting to the way yoko is portrayed and i've said this many times i really do believe that in all the most important ways over the years throughout time Paul McCartney has been John and Yoko's biggest supporter. Forgive me for repeating myself, but it's why I find the the whole petty, jealous Paul trope so insulting and unfair. Yeah. Like, was Paul upset about the way John used Yoko as a wedge between the two of them? And a way to disengage from Paul and try to move on without him. Of course, of course, of course he was upset about that. And he he said said, so a million million times. times. He was able to say it publicly in 1970 and own up to that. To admit Mm -hmm. last year, I was jealous, which is an extremely bold and courageous thing for a man to admit about another man, especially in 1970. Exactly. We're not trying to argue that he was perfect about all of it. He definitely wasn't. But ultimately he loved John and wanted to support him. And I think that's never changed. So the fact that he allowed Peter Jackson to cut January 13th the Mm -hmm. way he did (laughs) reiterates to me that Paul is really not interested in blaming Yoko and he's happy to take the heat off of her and he is happy to co-sign you know, the John and Yoko love story, just so long as the love between John and Paul is also recognized and acknowledged. Yes. The other questionable thing that Peter Jackson does is he cuts Yoko and Ringo and Linda out of the lunchroom tapes. Yeah. And he specifically states at the beginning of the scene that Paul and John go to the lunchroom to have a private conversation, which is hugely misleading. I mean, technically, I guess you could say that it was private in that it wasn't being filmed by outsiders. But that's, (laughs) (laughs) That's that part was private. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess it was relatively private, but that's a weak sauce Asking excuse. It's misleading yeah it's misleading yeah and that's the part that is uh, egregious to me like if he wanted to just cut the audio to imply that it was a private conversation (laughs) I'm okay with that that's a cheat but that's showbiz baby but to outright state that they were alone that's just not true (laughs) they are very definitely there and like Yoko is interrupting at times Mm -hmm. Paul John and Ringo are having a three-way conversation a lot of the times. Yeah. Which is important information. They cut out Ringo, too, which is a little insulting. Those lunchroom tapes, everybody's going to have a different opinion on what's vital from those tapes. Yeah. Or even what's being said. There are several points where I cannot arrive at an opinion about who exactly They're talking about. But they're also the single solitary bit that is truly candid because they don't know they're being recorded. Well, and some of it was fudged a little too much. Now, maybe Peter Jackson has some extra bit of tape that isn't in the widely circulated and published Niagara Reels. Uh, I mean, I I can't (laughs) positively disprove that he has extra tape where Paul, unbeknownst to us, says, you've always been boss. But in the tape we have, Paul says to John, you have always been at the top of the shoot. Now I've been sort of secondary rung. George has been third rung. Ringo pipes said, and I've been the cabbage. <laughs> John says, but he hasn't. Paul cuts him off, says, no, but listen, you're the rabbit, right? John says, but not always. Paul says, but listen, no, always. <laughs> Uh, Paul then goes on to say that George is basically correct to call them out on it because basically there has been a pecking order and John and Paul have been dicks and Paul finds himself you know, pulling rank unintentionally. And then John says, "Well, I've always been conscious of my own conniving." <laughs> <laughs> so that got whittled down <laughs> to Paul saying, "You've always been boss." John's saying, "But not always." Paul's saying, "No, <laughs> always. So that <laughs> that is some editing. Yeah. So again, you know, the thrust of this conversation is somewhat open to interpretation um i mean they're talking about cabbages and rabbits and shoots and rungs so right exactly and Uh, paul never really comes to the point which is a problem (laughs) so i don't know what he's trying to say Mm. but in that specific excerpt it does it seems clear to me that paul is saying um this hierarchy thing is bullshit and we all decided it was bullshit and intellectually we know it's bullshit Mm -hmm. he's saying you know george is right to call us on this bullshit so to see that edited and used to perpetuate the whole john is the rightful leader trope was disappointing to say the least yeah and it gets into the bigger issue of leadership which we'll discuss in much more detail in episode three and then john also goes on to say I could be the Beatles and Paul, you could be the Beatles. Ringo, I don't think you could be the Beatles. Sorry. I'm just saying what I really feel. I yeah. understand why all that's cut out too, because it, it's kind of crass and makes John sound a little assholey. And yeah. That's not the goal at any time to make anybody sound like an asshole. Yeah. I do find it a little annoying that John's arguably uh, Douchey, I'm cool. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> lines from this conversation are cut, so that leaves us with only John's most responsible and even-handed and self-aware lines. Yeah. Um. So uh, you know, uh, not my favorite, but it's not to Paul's detriment at all either. So, right. Fine. Yeah, it was sort of cut to flatter them both, but. Yeah. John really benefits a lot from it because you cut See, out. He says some stuff. Yeah, he sure does say some stuff. <laughs> they like they yeah. cut out his jealousy, his insecurity, him saying, "I've been kicking people and conniving," since <laughs> primary school. Overall, I'm not complaining because I thought it was fairly even-handed. Like I think John and Paul both come out kind of okay. Um, yeah it's obviously not anti anyone yes exactly and you know their purpose for this movie was to establish that like oh john and paul realize that that they need to be more sensitive to george that they've shut him out but they included uh john complaining about paul in the studio saying um, i don't want your arrangement yeah yeah exactly yeah which Again, I don't mind because that's real and it's fine to put it in, Uh, but it certainly could have been counterbalanced, uh, for example, by the conversation minutes later about kicking in the phone box where John is expressing insecurity and Paul is encouraging John. Oh, yeah. Paul's pep talk. Yeah, I understand that that's not what the scene is about, so they don't have time for that from Peter Jackson's Mm -hmm. point of view, right? the purpose of it was for paul to say no john you've always been the boss and you need to be boss and then mm. john goes yes let me tell you what you're <laughs> doing wrong paul and then from that point on john the leader takes over i'm not suggesting that peter jackson had an ulterior motive to do that because i don't think he did i think he's just he he's doing whatever's going to work for the story i'm not crying conspiracy or anything like that i just just feel it's maybe not, again, not the full picture. The other omission that I found frustrating was the omission of John's very important revelation that he has to smother his jealousy for Paul in order to work with him. Here is that quote. John says, I'm just trying to ask, do I want him back, Paul? I'm just asking, do I want it back, whatever it is? Do I want it back enough? Then, if it is enough, I'd have to swallow my ego for you. I'd have to smother my jealousy for you to carry on for whatever reasons there is. Then, if it is enough, I'd have to swallow my ego for you. I'd have to smother my jealousy for you to carry on for whatever reasons there is. Is it important to the George issue? Maybe not. But is it important Maybe to not, the not. overall trajectory of the of the rest of the movie and the band and their relationship? Mm-hmm. It's extremely important. And it, it wouldn't have derailed the conversation to leave it in. I agree. It would have done nothing except add depth to the conversation. Yes. Yeah, and humanized John and explained some of his less yes. than awesome, less than stellar behavior. And explain some of Paul's behavior too. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to that? How do you go about making your partner of 15 years stop being jealous of you? No wonder Paul seems so hesitant and conflicted at times. That's such a a weird position to be in. What does John want Paul to do about this problem? Is there anything that Paul could do about this problem? No, but it is a real thing and it should be part of the conversation because that's part of what he's dealing with people Mm -hmm. in his own band being jealous of him Mm -hmm. and that does contribute to band politics i'm sorry but it just does Mm -hmm. and if it had been included in get back it would have been part of the conversation now and as it stands people act as if it's slander against John to even imply that he would have been jealous like it's beneath him Mm -hmm. to be jealous of Paul McCartney but like why wouldn't he be jealous not why wouldn't he be jealous but like why would it be beneath him like if you're gonna be jealous of somebody he's a fine (laughs) person to be jealous of (laughs) to kind of summarize why all of this these omissions specifically are a problem is not just that it Eliminate some nuance, but that it specifically takes away nuance that is long overdue for recognition. It takes away depth in support of some narratives that are very entrenched already, mm-hmm. don't need to be uh, emphasized. Simplifying the idea that John is the leader of the Beatles to the point of dumbing it down is not what the Beatle fandom needs. It needs a more nuanced, in-depth understanding of the power dynamic between John and Paul as co-leaders of the Beatles. And John's jealousy remark would go a long way toward doing that. And his conniving remark would go a long way toward doing that. So it's really unfortunate that it got taken out because it gives credence to an oversimplified and overexposed narrative. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is a huge difference between saying, well, John was the rightful leader as he always Mm -hmm. was. It was his band. Paul didn't know his place. There's a difference between that versus John was a powerful co-leader in the most creative, innovative band of the 60s. But he suffered from poor self-esteem and various insecurities, some of which were directly exacerbated by his partner, and when he felt his power within the band waning, he would occasionally reassert that power in toxic ways due to his jealousy and insecurity. The former is just stupid. It It is. It's reductive and
0: yes. misleading.
2: And it's dumb. It just means nothing. <laughs> it's not illuminating. Uh, it's lazy. Let's talk about the moments in the film where Yoko interacts with the rest of the band. There's a point where yoko uh jams if you will uh with the band Mm -hmm. which was sort of cut to make her look as cute as possible it's fine to me that the clips of yoko jams are only 10 seconds long as opposed to three minutes or whatever so we're refocusing on the beatles as we've said they're definitely cut to the cutest portions it's unfortunate because yoko's aesthetic has never been about cuteness well, that never been her goal. Yeah, well, again, this goes back to the way she's been redeemed. In one of our breakup episodes, I pushed back a bit on the idea that the public didn't like Yoko only because she was Japanese. Uh, you know, I said, come on, that's it's not Yoko's only characteristic, right? <laughs> she's weird. Yeah. And I'm certainly not arguing like, come on, guys, give the racists credit. <laughs> <laughs> saying give yoko some credit okay she earned some of that public (laughs) yes she came by that honestly right yoko was weird she came from a field that most people didn't understand or or like (laughs) (laughs) her art was deliberately provocative that was the point of it she didn't conform to beauty standards or performative femininity She was opinionated. She was pretentious. (laughs) She had a strong unwavering belief in her own genius. She had at best ambivalence and at worst open disdain (laughs) for the Beatles. Yes. Now, those are the very reasons that some people like her (laughs) including me to an extent. Yeah, me too. But, But it is also why a lot of people do not. So again, it's slightly disturbing to me the way that she's been redeemed in 2020 is to take her voice away mm. and only leave in the cutesy parts of her giggling or dancing. Now, there are a few seconds of her singing, but those jams were cut down significantly to the most you know palatable portions. Although in fairness, all the jams are highly edited. True. But- you know, specifically all the parts of John snapping at her or, you know, Yoko being annoying or disruptive or, or contradictory. All of which she, as a person has every right to be without oh. it making her a villain or responsible for the Beatles breakup. Right. Yeah. Like I love Paul and he can be annoying and disruptive and contradictory too. Yep. <laughs> Peter Jackson also cut all the footage of Paul picking his nose. So (laughs) I'm I'm grateful for that. We're not mad about that either. We are are not, we're not. So it's a cleanup job, I get that. But if we want to redeem her, let's redeem her, actually her. Let's not try to bake her into something that she's not in order to redeem her. Let's acknowledge that, yeah, that, that was disruptive and inappropriate surely we can acknowledge something like that about a person without it turning them into a villain just like we can acknowledge that you know John and Paul sidelined George to an extent and that was not cool yeah that's it if we want to re-examine what happened and say you know what John Lennon was the one who demanded her presence in the studio and yes she was a grown woman who could have chosen to stay home or to go out her own studio done her own art met her own friends whatever yeah but at the same time it was john who you know insisted i have to be allowed to bring her everywhere so that's an issue that he needs to sort out with his bandmates so if we want to reframe it as an issue between john and the rest of the band rather than yoko and the rest of the band let's do that and then let's have a real conversation about why John had to have her there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the lights are working. You missed it. Yeah, I felt it as I left the second floor. It was great. Yoko, John, and Paul, and Billy were doing their freak out. Beatles, yeah. No, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> Billy, Yoko, John, and Paul. Because <laughs> <It was laughs> they're all on film. Yeah. What a great bit of film. Yes. not faces, place
2: There are two schools of thought on this, two streams of theory that John's love for Yoko broke up the Beatles. The first one is that John is so crazy in love with her, they can't keep their hands off each other. They can't break eye contact. They're just so in the crazy, mad rush of new love that they can't bear to be apart from each other. Yeah, right. And this is the explanation Paul usually goes with, like even to this day. And, mm-hmm. and we also see him articulate it in Get Back. Number two is that Yoko is John's new songwriting partner. <laughs> uh, his new artistic collaborator. And so that's why he wants her there. Because John has replaced Paul with Yoko. Every book ever written on the Beatles has told us this. John swapped Paul out in favor of Yoko, like a car. So, the question for us now is Do we see evidence in Get Back that supports either of these theories? So, with regard to the first explanation, we don't really see John and Yoko interacting very much. Right. Which is partly due to the editing. Fact that, yeah, that Peter Jackson edited out a lot of footage of Yoko. Yeah. So. Uh, maybe there is footage of them tonsil hocking <sighs> between takes. Like, it is, yeah. Po- it, yeah, it's possible. It's possible though. Like I, I haven't seen it, and I've watched a lot of bootleg video, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Like it's possible it was just edited out. Um, and they do dance a few times, and they, you know, there's a little bit of cuddling and a few mm-hmm. kisses, but um, I didn't really see any of it as disruptive no not at all i actually kind of thought paul and linda were more of the pda couple well sure just not during the middle of a take well yeah i mean there are no moments where paul's recording and linda sitting next to him no i mean she sits next to him in the booth when they're listening Mm -hmm. to playback yeah she only showed up a few times as opposed to Yoko, who was there every uh, moment. Constance. What? What? Do you see them being horny and and lo- like? Do, do no. they strike you as an inseparable? No. Couple? Yeah. Not, not remotely. They are Anything less they connected, less yeah. attuned to each other than any couple in the throes of new love I've ever known they do not seem like boyfriend girlfriend unless they're actively touching yeah and even then sometimes they physically they're very close and like you know people describe them as attached to the hip which i think is mm-hmm. fair because they kind of are yeah. attached. To the hip. so they do look close they just don't have like horny new love vibes no just not at all from what we've seen which again not isn't a- necessarily fair you know well they don't even have like mutual fascination vibes when you're with a new partner and a new love of your life you want to be watching them all the time you know like you want to see every little expression yeah you want to see how they react to everything the only reason why this is even a conversation is because it's it's been used as the reason right. why th- why the band broke up so right. if it's that important like if it's so important that you need to break the band up over it then it deserves to be examined a little bit you know otherwise I yeah. wouldn't be yeah poking no, holes like i'm not saying it's bad or or there's anything wrong with the way they are i'm just saying it does not comport with yeah the narrative that they put forward yeah like how does it really hold up based on what we've seen so i guess it's something that you kind of can't judge i guess that's probably the fairest thing to say true i mostly see it as an insufficient explanation (laughs) um because like even if it's true that john and yoko are crazy in love the beatles are working around it yeah and also paul and linda seem pretty gooey but yeah Paul still manages to come to work without her nine out of 10 days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So because I'm in love, it just is not a sufficient explanation for why somebody needs to be present at your workplace. How about the second explanation that Yoko was the new Paul in John's life? Paul (laughs) 2.0. The new and improved. (laughs) Yeah, Um, this in itself doesn't make a ton of sense because Yoko and Paul are not a lateral swap. (laughs) It would be like swapping out my gynecologist for my hairdresser. (laughs) Those people have two different skill sets. (laughs) But even so, assuming they are an even swap, Yoko replaced Paul is an appreciably different statement from John attempted to replace Paul with Yoko. The first suggests that it was an unintended thing that just happened serendipitously and John was helpless to resist. The second implies that John is making a deliberate choice, deliberate change in his relationship to Paul and that maybe there are some deeper issues at hand or even some mind games being played. Right. So just for a moment, let's entertain the idea that Yoko was Paul's replacement, as we've you know read in every Beatles book ever. And as Peter Jackson even said on Stephen Colbert's show last month, if that's the case, then bringing a new partner into his creative space with Paul is at worst aggressive and cruel and at best, incredibly selfish and insensitive. Like that is just a face value read of that behavior. Mm -hmm. Let's do a quick role reversal. (laughs) I love the role (laughs) reversal. Let's say that in 1968, Paul and Donovan start writing songs together and they have a whole side gig of McCartney Leach. They're putting out LPs on the side, but it's still just a side gig. It's supplemental to the Beatles. But then let's also imagine that starting in may of 68 donovan shows up to every beatles rehearsal recording session and songwriting session between john and paul he's not contributing but he's there donovan and paul are inseparable and throughout the get back sessions donovan just (laughs) sitting quietly on a chair next to paul Sometimes he whispers to him or gives him a little peck, but mainly he's just plays with a Rubik's cube or, you know, does a crossword or something, <laughs> but as soon as he gets the chance to jump on the mic, he does that too. He arrives with Paul every day. He leaves with Paul every day on the weekends. They do events together and publicity about McCartney Leach and how much they love each other. Would anyone be okay with that? no maybe Donovan. (laughs) Yeah, but no, there would be an intervention. It's ludicrous. It's a joke to even think about it, right? Like, I have a hard time imagining anyone defending that behavior. I really do think that everybody would classify that behavior as aggressive, petty, attention-seeking, childish like just crazy because they would assume that Paul was being deliberately provocative and they'd be right and this is not about wanting to shame John for being mean because I I genuinely don't think John is being mean even though his behavior is obviously hurting Paul and we have to say that Paul is partly to blame for the fact that that's not the go-to explanation For John and Yoko's weird behavior, because Paul justifies their behavior to the like it's the hill he's gonna die on. Yeah. He's the biggest normalizer of this behavior for sure. Yes. He's the normalizer in chief when it comes to John's (laughs) behavior in their weird behavior and John's jealous spouse behavior towards him. I really hope that get back finally cements in stone forever. The fact that John and Paul are still crazy about each other. Because, crazy in love. Yes, because it's as important as anything to the band dynamics and the breakup. Of course. And we're never going to understand what happened if we don't acknowledge that. Yeah. We'll never be able to explain how bad it got if we don't acknowledge how good it was. Yeah. What's at stake? Yeah. They get off being around each other. Yeah. There's, there's no way around it part of me is just like just go watch it like why do we even need to well that's the thing it's like I'm kind of tired of talking about it I don't want to be the only person on the air talking about this like that's not my goal that's not what I want to do with my life mm-hmm. I don't want to just be talking <laughs> about John Paul making googly eyes at each other I'm glad more people are finally starting to talk about it here was my thing watching them uh, again, as someone who was already convinced by the evidence that John and Paul were bananas for each other, I was watching and I said oh i I didn't even didn't even know how <laughs> true that was. It was so yeah. incessant and total. Like their chemistry, the way that if John and Paul weren't talking, and Paul started nodding that John would also start nodding so as not to break eye contact, presumably. <clears throat> I don't know many couples. I don't know any. You know what? I don't know any couples who are like that. Yeah, no, I don't know any couples like that either. And, and I definitely don't know any friends like that either. Like it's it's beyond yeah. like like trying to describe the tension between them. Yes, there's a precariousness. Yes, yes, that, that you, is yes. that is strange considering how in tune they seem to be and that they've been together for 12 years that's wild that's the other thing that's the other thing what couple who have been together that long do you know who act like that it's weird it's like a real thinker you know well it is speaking just about their personal relationship now not the musical tension or the creative process or whatever but just as an observer i felt like the core of the tension between them was that they were still kind of playing hard to get meaning each one was giving off sort of semi-thirsty do you like me vibes (laughs) and it bordered on annoying and that's not a criticism of the film (laughs) (laughs) no that is fully john and paul's fault absolutely yeah right it's not a criticism of the film and i'm i'm deeply grateful that it's there because it is historically important mm-hmm. them being annoyingly into each other is historically important <laughs> <laughs> yes historic levels of annoyance <laughs> well, well, it was absolutely it, true And it's, it's an actual good point because like it is, it is really important to understanding the history of the Beatles and and the history of the breakup because it's every book has told the opposite story Uh and, and it's important, but it was annoying in that. It felt like a TV show where everyone on the show knows the two characters are in love, except those characters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of how it felt to me. I, I wanted somebody to pull both of them aside and be like (laughs) so you 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 know he's in love with you right okay just checking but at the same time you know they both have these new girlfriends that they also love Mm -hmm. so like it's hard you're happy that linda and yoko are there yep paul turned into a different person with heather and linda like he just radiated happiness and security and they yeah. clearly brought joy into his life and fulfillment. He seems yes. fulfilled. he does. He really does. He's a dad. He's they, such a dad. They're a, I mean, they look like a family and they are a family. So that was nice. And, you know, realistically, even if John and Paul are in love with each other, which they are, which know, they are, what can be done about that? Right? At some point, they've got to let each other go. No matter how much it hurts there's no practical solution to it so yeah it's sad but you can see it coming like from a mile away in my opinion when Mm -hmm. you when you watch them you can tell that john and paul are going to get married to their respective spouses yes and then their relationship (sighs) is just going to quickly deteriorate which it does in the space of six months we know what's going to happen because we know, but even if you didn't know, you could predict what's going to happen, mm. right? Mm-hmm. If this is a TV show, if they're fictional characters or whatever, they're both planning to get married. One of them's going to call it off at the last minute and confess their love, you know, or they're not. And if they don't, then it's going to have a sad ending. I mean, even though they do, you know, they do limp along for another six months, but it's done mm-hmm. in, within six months, it's done. And yeah. it's, it's done in like the most hurtful, harmful way possible. Yeah. So I think that's gonna be the next big question, which is, you know, the lie that John disliked Paul and was bored with him and only had eyes for Yoko has now been exposed, right? It was a lie. That storyline is bullshit. So the task, I think, becomes now to explain what is the purpose of that lie?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If John and Paul still adore each other in January, which they do, and they still take great pleasure in making music together, which they do, like what what is the purpose of John lying about those things?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Why why, do, why can he not say... Listen, I love Paul and I love making music with him, but whatever sure. the problem is, you know, like, yeah. but he can be overbearing in the studio, and or, but we just needed a break from each other, or you know, or whatever, yeah, or whatever, exactly, whatever the 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 so-called reason is, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Why would it be too hurtful for John to admit that? What is that lie covering up? Because Paul yep. basically. Paul tells the truth. Paul does say, "I love John, and I love making music with him." But John said he wanted a divorce. So, why is it that why is it that that Paul could admit that, and John can't? Twenty-nine, take one, sync. Second day shooting, five to eleven. The scene where Michael Lindsay-Hogg talks about the wound between John and Paul, the when they're at Twickenham and John is, you know, avoiding eye contact, but the camera is zooming in on his face. He looks tortured. He looks like he wants he to wants die. He wants to die. Yes. It's the, probably the hardest bit of footage, I think, maybe, in the whole... My, just, my heart just ached. And, like, Michael Lindsay Hogg's choice of words... Hmm whatever the wound is but I love that he gave voice to the unspoken thing yeah at least he said it good lord something has hurt both of you we don't know what it is it's not our business and I'm not and I'm not asking exactly (laughs) but maybe this could help I felt like I was watching John with his skin off like Mm. I really this really brought home to me when people say how vulnerable John could be Mm. It was hard to look at him. I almost hope that it wasn't emotional that he, <laughs> that he was just having some withdrawal, some heroin withdrawal. That would be better, a better situation than him looking like that just because someone brought up the wound pre- between him and Paul. It's just agony. What happened between Twickenham and, and Apple? So, in the first episode, John still can't take his eyes off Paul but it's more mm-hmm. it's more trepidatious yeah right? like he yeah. he's much more timid he almost seems scared of him a little bit he's not getting pleasure out of it in Twickenham. him and then something happened <laughs> <laughs> right they're not just watching yeah. each other like you know like wounded animals and I mean, for poor George, because, I, you know, I'm sure he's like, this is not what I meant. Oh, yeah, they're insufferable. Yeah, they really are. Obviously, some people enjoy being around that. Like, obviously, Ringo's chill with it, and George Martin seems to enjoy it. And Michael Lindsay Hogg seems to enjoy it. And and Glenn Johns, like, they they are obviously- Well, everybody, everybody enjoys to it watch, except George. Except George. <laughs> Immense- empathy and understanding to George Harrison. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I would have been out of that band quicker than he was. As we mentioned earlier, there are cheats throughout Get Back. Many of them are by necessity because corresponding video does not necessarily exist for every piece of audio. Um, But some of them are used to create a different or misleading impression of what's happening on camera. To a certain extent, this is a perfectly normal and accepted thing. It happens all the time in the editing room. But one thing I do wanna talk about is the scene where Paul and Ringo, along with Linda, Neil, and the camera crew are waiting for John and Yoko to show up. This is January 13th. Right. So on that morning when Paul and Ringo and everybody else is waiting to hear what happened to john and his phone is off the hook and paul Mm -hmm. is blathering on and on and on defending Mm -hmm. john and yoko trying to convince everyone what a great (laughs) couple they are (laughs) while everyone else is bitching and complaining about them so one point during this scene paul tearfully says and then there were two and you know a hush falls over the room and paul stares into the distance he's on the verge of tears because he's terrified that the Beatles are over i think there's even a wobble in his voice there (laughs) is yeah um so that's not real that is the magic of (laughs) movie making (laughs) (laughs) that scene was created by editors to invent drama um which is a shame because there's plenty of drama as is (laughs) well yeah i mean obviously the moment happened and we can read paul's expression however we want to but it it, the fact remains that that didn't happen after he said and then there were two yeah and the reason that we can say that so confidently is because we have the tape right yeah he he says and then there were two and everybody laughs and michael lindsey hogg even repeats it you know the the way you do when someone says something funny he says and then there were two and then
1: there were two (laughs)
2: having said all that paul is obviously upset yeah and if we're going to say that that's an important moment which i think it is and is illuminating of paul's character we should try to figure out what that moment is in reaction to why does he feel that way like what have they just been talking about because the way it's presented in get back is out of order Like I'm familiar with all of that audio and then some like, like plus (laughs) extra. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean that Peter Jackson doesn't have more audio than what I've been exposed to. Like he, you know, he could have had 35 minutes of them sitting there. It's possible that the visual of Paul tearing up and looking off into the distance is in response to something we have no idea. Either we don't have the audio or the audio wasn't included for some reason, Mm -hmm. or the more likely scenario is that it was in reaction to something else, but in order to maximize the drama, Peter Jackson decided to pair that visual with, and then there were two because he thought that was a better line. Right movie making involves a lot of cheating okay this is a documentary that peter jackson is is directing but he is creating the entire storyline through editing like he's obviously not this is not his footage he didn't shoot it he can't shoot pickups he's not We're doing right. you know interviews after the fact paul's not going into the booth and doing a confessional afterwards i couldn't believe it when they said that john's <laughs> phone was disengaged You know, so gotta make do with what you have this is maybe part of a bigger discussion of like, when is a cheat, a white lie versus when is a cheat, a big deal. Okay. Mm -hmm. This falls for me somewhere between a white lie and a big deal because the story Peter Jackson is telling is that Paul is sad to the point of, you know, almost crying about the band breaking up. I think we can all agree that that's true paul would agree that that's true um Mm -hmm. it's not even controversial right like we all know that he doesn't want the band breakup right that said though he talks very matter-of-factly with john and george about the real possibility of divorce yeah and he comes up with that idea of putting um news clips (laughs) in between their performances of their new songs on the projected tv show special and that they finished with the biggest headline of all the beatles have broken up which obviously i'm glad didn't (laughs) happen but it would have been a total boss move it would have been so cool yeah (laughs) (laughs) he can have fluctuating feelings about that prospect i'm just pointing out that his feelings do fluctuate so in my opinion it's a mistake to assume all of his anxiety always is about the band breaking up right well, and that it's like this unspeakable thing that, that you know, mm, yeah, right. The thought of it just, you know. Cause they've spoken about it. He's talking about it on that day. Like yeah. you said, he's pitching ideas for how they can yeah. announce it. <laughs> how they can announce it. By making it only about the band, you're obscuring the other realities of the situation. Which is that his best friend, who, even though he's seeing him every day, they are a bit estranged. There's some kind of wound. There's something everyone's of, aware of. Exactly. And they're not as close as they used to be. And this friend is on heroin. Paul cannot control that. He cannot yeah. protect John. He has no say in what's going on in John's personal life anymore. You know, they covered that even a little bit earlier. In the, in the morning where he said, that's what we've lost. It's not about us playing together. We play together fine. That's not it. It's, it's our being together. It's the closeness that we had is like, we're not together anymore like that. And John is sick. He's on heroin and he's hurting and everybody knows Michael Lindsay Hawk just talked about it in episode one. So my point is It's a disappointment to see Paul's anxiety, like to the point of tears, like his fear and anxiety being attributed exclusively to the band breaking up. Always. Yeah. It obscures the heroin problem, but it Mm -hmm. also just like reduces Paul. Exactly. Worrying about the band breaking up is self-interested. Whereas maybe he just loves John enough that he's worried about him. And, not for nothing, but maybe this is at play in the tensions with Yoko. Not that Yoko should take all the blame for getting John hooked or whatever. But still, when you have a friend who hooks up with someone and then they become junkies together, you don't always feel super warmly toward that person. Yeah, that goes back to the whole question of, like, why is everybody complaining about Yoko? Yeah. And trying to goad Paul into doing something and Paul going, listen, it's fine. If we don't make it a problem, it doesn't have to be a problem. (laughs) And everybody attributes that to like, oh, looks like he's really scared that John's going to quit the Beatles. Okay. Or he knows that John is incredibly fragile and that Yoko is a support to him. Maybe he's just like, guys back off let him have his blanket you know i'm putting up with it okay i can i can (laughs) deal with it i can compromise and i'm the one most affected by it honestly like if i say it's okay then you guys have got to be okay with it yeah and he's not saying it's okay because he likes it he doesn't want john to leave the band but he also is like why am i going to force him to do that what does that accomplish right if he's saying he needs her to be there then he needs her to be there and like I love him and I'm gonna do whatever I need to adjust and and make it work and by the way somebody better fucking find him because it's noon and nobody knows where he is and I'm freaking out right now yeah when Mal reports back that John that he tried to call John and John's line is permanently engaged, Paul's obviously a, a little taken aback like that. He says, permanently engaged.
1: Mal's trying to if we yeah. engaged.
2: Permanently engaged. And he doesn't flip out or anything, but he sounds to me, he sounds concerned. And Linda says that Paul is quote on pins and needles, wondering what's happened. To me that 100 percent suggests paul is worried about john personally wondering what's happened to me sounds like wondering if there was an accident or something you know like not like wondering what mood john is to- in. yeah exactly <laughs> when mal gets john on the phone and like the relief with which paul like stands mm-hmm. up i don't know how you can watch that and be like oh he's he's thankful that the band is still together <laughs> <laughs> my god how shallow do you think this man is we are suggesting that maybe that long stare of teary-eyed anxiety that paul goes through and that has rightfully earned a lot of um reaction because it's very Yeah. yeah it's very moving and we don't see paul being that vulnerable ever we're saying maybe this is what Trigger that that he's worried about John's well-being. Not just that their recording schedule is being thrown off. And the, it's a moment of silence and it's not synced. We can't say for sure what was just said before, but but we do know it wasn't. And then there were two. Because right. the room is is laughing at that point. It'd be pretty fucked up if they were all <laughs> laughing at Paul while he's tearing up. Well, he's trembling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Paul. You card. Yeah. If this moment is important, if it's an unusual, you know, showing of vulnerability on Paul's part, which it is, and if it's, then we should at least put some effort into trying to find out what triggered it. Yeah. Or at least we should just say, well, we don't, you know,
0: we, we don't know. Yeah, but your question was, was John fragile? and i i think he was i don't think he was as solid inside as paul is paul is very self-sufficient paul paul is got a, there's a lot of different pauls in there and they all support him in ways he wants to be supported i mean for just to start i mean he's got a voice like an angel and he's one of the greatest songwriters of the past hundred years, John was a more fragile being, which is partly what caused him to react very quickly to provocation. It's a choice between that and exercise, you know, and uh, drugs win hand down. I say hand down. Mm.
2: Shooting is
0: exercise. Shooting is exercise, Mm. oh yeah.
2: Another disturbing takeaway that I've seen from a lot of people is that get back proves that heroin is fine <laughs> like heroin's not a problem? <laughs> and I feel like we definitely need to push back on this. So, yeah, I don't feel like it should be super controversial to say that heroin is not okay. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean this in a judgmental way like John and Yoko are bad because they're doing heroin, no. you know? No, they're addicts. Addiction yeah, is a, a, a disease, it's a problem. It just doesn't reflect badly on john it except that it shows that he is predisposed to addictions which we already knew and lots of people are right that's a really common human problem we're not going to get into like all the reasons why john's life is hard and why they in yoka's life is hard and that's why they might be heroin. like i don't it sure. doesn't i don't care because i'm not mad at them for doing heroin it just no. is what it is That doesn't make him villains, but it's a problem. It's a problem for John. People seem to think that if John is showing up to work at all, like we don't have footage of him sorting heroin in the studio, that it's not a a problem (laughs) or that it just isn't happening, but it's happening. It's happening when John and Yoko go home. And if you want to argue that people should be allowed to do heroin on their own time, as long as they don't miss work or do heroin at work, then that then you should just Just say say that that. yeah yeah but it's not helpful or true to just tell yourself that john wasn't doing heroin like you can't just make it go away (laughs) people can be functional addicts or semi-functional addicts that might be a problem too because i think maybe people just don't know a lot about heroin sure and i'm certainly not some sort of an expert or anything but i've seen people on heroin and i've you know worked with people on heroin not on heroin at work but that's the point like you're a normal per- it's not like you're getting bitten by a zombie or something like you're still a normal person you just yeah. you know have a heroin habit That like mm-hmm. if you're not actively high you wouldn't know and yes like you can try it once or twice and not have a lifelong addiction. That's the same could be said about crack or meth or any other highly addictive Mm -hmm. drugs. Um, But it is super addictive and dangerous. And furthermore, we know it's something that Yoko struggled with on and off for decades, at least into the eighties. Right, We, we know the situation was not that. John tried it once or twice and didn't become addicted. He became very addicted. Had to rope himself to a chair to to detox and wrote wrote, wrote, a and wrote a song about it, about it. <laughs> yes it's also something that he struggled with for the next two or three years yeah so it's a big deal and it becomes a bigger deal for john and yoko later in 1969. heroin like many other drugs it becomes an obsession a preoccupation mm-hmm. and in that respect at the very least an unhealthy distraction he wrote about it in other songs aside from cold turkey he said after the fact that happiness is a warm gun was a heroin reference yeah michael lindsay hogg talked about spanish tony the rock star heroin dealer showing up at the rehearsals so like it or not john's getting heroin delivered to his workplace so i'm sorry but that's a problem Suffice to say, it's impossible for us, with our vantage point, to quantify how big the problem was exactly. So if you really want to downplay it for whatever reason, that's a choice. It distorts our view of get back in the Beatles, but more importantly, it is a dangerous idea for people to buy into. It seems like they were taking it intermittently enough for john to look pretty clean for the second two episodes or who know you know supplemented with cocaine i don't know and yeah. you know don't I'm, do drugs uh, don't do drugs kids and also like i'm not trying to paint out like the all oh, the other Beatles were such angels like no they all did drugs and you know <laughs> they're drinking yeah. throughout most of the <laughs> most <laughs> of the film paul possibly is smoking weed at A couple times, yeah. I mean, I think he in that third episode, it really looks like he's blazing in the studio because everybody in the studio (laughs) was like, "What is he doing?" (laughs) Like everybody's looking side eye at him, and no one will say anything because he's Barney. No one's right, you know, say anything. But I mean, that's inappropriate too. Yeah. Although, again, having said that, they're all drinking (laughs) all the time. (laughs) All the time. Well, everyone, that's our show. Thanks for listening to part one and make sure you tune in for part two of our hey, series. Guys. Uh, <laughs> Iris! Iris! <laughs> what are you doing here? I'm here to tell <laughs> our listeners about episode two. We'll be discussing George Harrison's role in Get Back, his conflicts with Paul, and his role in the Beatles. Well, that sounds fantastic. I'm definitely gonna tune into that. <laughs> Me too. Thanks for letting us know about it, Iris. You're welcome. Were you here the whole time? Did you listen to the whole <laughs> I had my ear against the door. <laughs> was... Amazing. What did you think? It was great. <laughs> Thank you. Go. Thanks for that. We thought so, too. Guess. See you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>